0: Welcome to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Erin Ferros, Queensland practice director and member of the board of Allen's Law Firm. It's wonderful to have you along for another episode of the Arate podcast. And for those people who are not familiar with me and our firm, Arate Executive is an executive recruitment company based in Brisbane, and we recruit CEOs, senior leaders, and non-executive directors for our clients across Australia. At the time of this recording, we've been in operation for seven years. And certainly if you have an appetite for executive search and you think that we can assist you, I'd welcome you making contact to discuss that. The Arato podcast has been designed to interview people who have achieved excellence in their career either in executive roles or non-executive roles and today's guest Erin Ferros is certainly no exception. Certainly I would welcome any inquiry from people listening to this podcast if you think that your chair or CEO would make an interesting guest please make contact and we can discuss how that can happen. Let me now introduce to you today's guest Erin (music) Ferros. Erin Ferros was admitted as a solicitor in 1985 and became a partner of Allens in 1988. Erin is a member of the Allens Board, is the firm's mining sector head and is the managing partner of the Brisbane Office of Allens. Mergers and acquisitions in the resources sector and privatisations are Erin's primary area of practice. She is a former director of Queensland Rail and is currently on the board of the Queensland Theatre Company. Erin is also Chair of the Queensland Events Committee with Chief Executive Women. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Erin Ferros. So uh, Erin, thanks very much for taking the time to join us on the Arritate podcast today. It's a beautiful uh, Friday morning here in Brisbane and uh, it's pretty early so I appreciate you taking the time.
1: A pleasure Richard, thank you.
0: And so for those people who are listening in and aren't familiar with your background, perhaps we can just talk initially about your current professional responsibilities. What are the sort of things that you're up to?
1: Yes, sure. So I'm a partner at Allen's uh, based in Brisbane. I'm actually also the uh, Queensland Practice Director or Managing Partner of the Queensland Practice of Allen's. Um, I also sit on the Allen's board. And I'm the mining sector leader uh, for Allens in, throughout all of their offices um, right. in Australia and Asia. Okay. So um, quite a combination of roles. I right. like to challenge myself. And on top of that, I have a practice um, in the energy and resources and privatisation spaces. So mm. keeping busy on both fronts. OK,
0: great. And how? what sort of size is the, uh, the business here in
1: Queensland? Uh, we've got a, uh, around 230 staff here okay. in Brisbane. Yep. Um, just under 20 partners, wow. so uh, quite a lot to, to manage in the, in the office, yeah. And so
0: what percentage of your time would be managing the business versus doing your own legal
1: practical work? Um, it varies from time to time depending upon uh, transactions and requirements of clients, mm-hmm. but there's usually around a 50-50 split okay. um, most of the time. Okay, yeah. Great.
0: And uh, I'm not that familiar with your background, but it seems that you've been with Allens for a long time.
1: Forever. I'm one of the lifers. Right. A lot of the partners here are lifers. Okay. So, I don't know. We wear it as a badge of honour, though I'm sure when I look at speak to some of the junior staff coming in, they are somewhat aghast, I think, right. that people could be staying in one place <laughs> for so long. That was the way things were, you know, yes. when in my generation anyway. Sure. No,
0: it's a, uh, it's a very different uh, uh, mentality in relation to career and uh, longevity and so on now isn't it? Yeah no absolutely Yeah. and so um, I like to start these conversations by going back to where it all began so uh, perhaps if you could just talk a little bit about you know where you were born and your early life and your
1: family and so on. Yes yeah, certainly so I'm a country gal I was born in Kingaroy okay. peanut country grew up there stayed in Kingaroy until I was in grade six and then we moved down to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. I have an older sister who's uh, nearly four years older than I am so I I had almost like two mothers in a sense because they both looked after me. So I had a wonderful childhood in Kingaroy. It was a lovely time where you rode your bike to school and you had all of your friends nearby Mm -hmm. and you're just full of play and fun and my dad, I'm from a Greek descent so my dad had the Paragon Cafe in Kingaroy and I used to work there as a little girl and get up on the box and work the cash register with all the customers from a young age and he trusted me with doing that sort of thing so it was wonderful and and mum had us um, doing a whole lot of extracurricular activities so we're either in speech and drama lessons or ballet lessons or swimming lessons or tap dancing or singing or piano. So he had a wonderful little country childhood.
0: And so what brought
1: you to Brisbane then? Dad just decided that as his daughters were getting older and needing to move on with their careers that we should move to a bigger city. So he did it for his girls. Okay.
0: And he remained
1: in the same sort of work. No, he moved to Brisbane with mum and dad and they went from um, owning businesses on to property investments and things so so, yeah.
0: Well, you're probably one of the few people that I need
1: to explain the word "arate" to. Yes, no, understood. Greek descent, yes, absolutely. Um,
0: and so, uh, came down to Brisbane when you were six, and then uh, in grade six, oh, in grade yeah. six, I yeah, pardon yeah, Okay, and then uh, obviously did your high school in here. Yes, I did. And then straight
1: into university. Um, well, actually, no. Uh, we took twelve months off. I think these days they call it you take a gap year. Yes. But in those days, I was an early gapper. It was straight after year 12. So right. i just finished school and my sister had just finished university. And it was a gap year with my parents. Okay. So um, Dad, because he'd come out to Australia from Greece as a young boy and hadn't had the opportunity to travel, mm-hmm. was really keen to travel okay. and to take his family. So we had a wonderful year in right. 1977, travelling the world with... Um, Mum, Dad and my sister. And so I deferred my university entry right, okay. um, until I came back.
0: And where were the sort of places you
1: went in that year? Uh, Wonderful places. We went to um, the US, Canada, Mexico, Europe. Uh, we went to Russia, which was unusual. India, sure. Iran before the... Um, right. Shah was deposed um, through Asia in home. It was just lovely. And you
0: were pretty much on the road for a whole year? Yeah,
1: we were. We did stay in Greece for about two or three months in the middle of it and Uh, caught up with all of the old relatives that we hadn't seen in a long time. But it was a wonderful eye-opening experience for a young 17-year-old.
0: Absolutely. And when you look at uh, the way that you uh, view your life now, are there any sort of pupil moments in that year that have had a lasting impact on you?
1: Yeah, look, my sister and I often talk about this, and I think it was just that broadening of your perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, going through India, seeing all of the poverty, seeing the beggars, Mm -hmm. um, going into Russia, going into Iran, seeing what was going on in that country at the time, it just opened up your eyes. And I, I found when I came back to my studies, I had... Um, more of a maturity about okay. me or, yeah. or more of a world vision, if that makes sense. Right. And I think that's actually helped scope the way I approach problems by looking widely at an issue. Okay. Okay. And I think, you know, they often say that with young children, even in primary school, travelling with their parents. They say, don't worry about school. Mm. You know, the, the life experience mm. is just worth so much more. Mm. So, yeah, I often think about that and think that at that age, it really helped mould my, my views and my perspective.
0: Right. And just out of interest, uh, your
1: sister, what sort of career did she move uh, She's a secondary school teacher. Okay. Yeah, right. in the performing arts right. and English. So she's, we've got a family, quite a dramatic family.
0: Okay, I <laughs> And so uh, you went directly then into...
1: University of Queensland, right. yes, I did an arts law degree. Okay. So uh, I was, at school I was a maths science geek, actually, mm-hmm. and I didn't know mm-hmm. what I wanted to study. So it's quite a funny story in my family. Um, At the end of grade 12, I was lucky enough to get a score that allowed me to do whatever course I really wanted to and I didn't know. And I actually put in a hat medicine, dentistry, pharmacy, law and I pulled out law and that's why I did law. (laughs) But I did an arts law degree but not having really done the humanities at school, I decided to do... political science, um, and majoring in Australian public administration. So that was fun. Oh,
0: certainly if you think about those different careers, they're very um, varied, dentistry, pharmacy, law, um, what what was the the initial criteria for which, um, you put in the hat?
1: It was just a career. Do you know, like if you you want to be a doctor, do you want to be a pharmacist, do you want to be a dentist? Or you could be a lawyer. Like I certainly wasn't going to be an engineer, so, (laughs) um, And that wasn't my interest, and uh, so that was they were sort of the careers du jour. So, and so you completed your studies, yes, and then
0: straight to Alan at that time. Yeah,
1: actually, um, it was quite an interesting journey there too, because I did my arts law degree, Mm -hmm. and one of the pivotal moments or the decisions that I made at university was in my second year when I decided that I would write to some of the law firms because I didn't have a legal background. My family wasn't um, in the law and my father had said he'd heard there was this firm called Fates Ruthening which was our predecessor firm. He said, I've heard good things about them. And I wrote a letter to them and a couple of other firms to ask if I could have work experience Mm -hmm. and back then um, the whole idea of summer clerkships and internships didn't exist. And it was interesting because I got two sort of polite but dismissive letters from the other two firms that I wrote to. But I got a really lovely letter from Faiths Ruthening which said, well, isn't this interesting? We don't actually offer this, but you've shown initiative here. Mm -hmm. We'd love you to come in for a couple of weeks. And I had the best work experience in those two weeks and then came here, was interviewed here and got a job and have been here ever since. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that that actually set me on the path. Sure. That decision to do that, outside my comfort zone in a sense.
0: And uh, so we're talking uh, mid-80s.
1: Uh, uh, that was sort of late 70s. So I started university I in 1978. Yeah. I graduated in 1983. Right. So this okay. would have been, yeah, around 1980. Okay, sure. Yeah. And
0: so... Uh, what, what did the, uh, the legal space look like at that time? I mean, I imagine it's very different today. Um, uh, what was it like in terms of the diversity of people coming into the law and men and women and so on?
1: Um, it well, it's interesting because I think a lot of the perceptions we had about the firms were different from the realities. So, so I thought coming into a firm like Vads Ruthening, which was the leading firm, it's 170 years old next year, mm-hmm. Um, that it would be very, very old school, very conservative. Um, I went through the state high school system. Um, I was from an immigrant family. I don't know, all these ideas in your head where you build up your own idea of these are going to be impediments. But then I joined the firm and um, they just really rewarded merit. So here I was with that background Um, I joined the firm in 1983, I got admitted as a lawyer in 1985, I was made an associate in 1986 and a partner in 1988, Mm -hmm. and we had four female partners in 1988, and as a proportion of um, females to male partners, we had a much higher level than most other law firms at that time, quite extraordinary four out of about um, 30 partners or something. So it was a really amazing statistic at that time. In fact, it might have even been less than 30 partners, but it was quite, um, you know, a high number. So it was certainly different. The landscape was different. We were more a state-based firm. We had relationships in other states where we referred work. But that's been another eye-opener for me during my career is you've gone from this completely autonomous firm which was state-based you know been in queensland 170 years to um, realizing that you had to get onto the national bandwagon and you needed to provide clients with um, national service and then clearly what we have seen in the last five or six years is the need to have an international and a global presence so i think all along it's been um a firm that has responded to client demand and client need. And as our clients grew and as our clients moved to different jurisdictions, we had to as well as part of that being flexible and responsive. So, yeah, the landscape was different. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, 30 years with the firm Mm -hmm. or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. So talk us through how your career unfolded. You know, how did it... what, What were some of the early things that you got involved with which really set you up to the success that...
1: Yeah, well, I was uh, very, very fortunate about um, the partner that I worked with when I first started. So I worked with a partner named Ken MacDonald, who is one of Australia's leading lawyers mm-hmm. in the in the resources and corporate space. And um, one of the first jobs I ever worked on was when BHP was buying all of Utah Corporation's coal assets mm-hmm. in the Bowen Basin. It was a, an enormous transaction that got a lot of media back then. Like these days, something like that probably wouldn't have, but it was a major transaction. And I was just the junior, and I was doing all of the property forms and the mining lease transfers. And And back in those days, the property forms were big um, B3 pieces right. of paper, and you'll understand the significance of me telling you that in a minute. So I was right. sitting at home at mum and dad's, on the kitchen table at night, doing all of this stuff anyway. Long story short, it was such a big story um, that the it was on the news, you know, when it was all happening, and the closing ceremony was held in New York okay. at Utah Corporation's lawyers, and it was on the six o'clock news, and they had the cameras there, and they said a historical transaction we have today, you know, BHP has acquired, Utah's interest, and they did a, a fan with a camera across the table of all the documents, and they focused in on those big B3 pieces of paper that I drafted, so that was extraordinary. So that was early in my career. Were you there at the time? No, I wasn't there. didn't get that trip, Right. Um, but then the other really significant transaction I worked on in 1996 was the Suncorp privatisation and merger with Metway Bank and that was one of Queensland and the country's 19 billion dollar deal back in 1996. So we did that um, privatisation and merger and then we did the sell down by exchanging notes over the next two years so an amazing period of my career Mm -hmm. Um, i was working closely with government i was sitting in parliament while legislation was being passed i was advising the treasurer it was extraordinary and that actually led to me being invited by the government to join the board of queensland rail and i was only in my 30s and that was quite a significant Achievements, so right. I, I think that that was actually a, a really wonderful part of my development. I feel mm. very privileged to have worked on those leading deals. Mm.
0: Okay, and what about from a leadership point of view? Uh, obviously, your uh, role has grown and the mandate from a leadership and strategy point of view has changed a lot, um, how how did you manage your own capabilities in that regard? Um,
1: I I I think. It's just my behaviour in terms of always looking for a new challenge. And so I would often often say I would act without a portfolio in the sense of if I would see an opportunity, I think, oh, that's a really good idea, I have to pursue that. Um, So in terms of transitioning just from practice into leadership, it was almost something that I was doing without title in a sense for you know early in my partnership i thought oh we really need to develop training sessions for staff or do this that or the other and i would just get in and do it mm-hmm. i certainly learned in taking on um, my leadership roles which have been both national and international it's a completely different set of skills that are needed and sort of managing um, your partners mm-hmm. managing your expectation their expectations and your own is totally different mm-hmm. to managing client relationships and um i have enjoyed the challenge i enjoy retooling i enjoy reinvigoration Mm -hmm. i'm a glass half full i'm a bit of a pollyanna so i always see the bright side in any time and try and go okay that might be happening here but how about Mm -hmm. we try something else Mm so so i found i've fallen naturally into leadership roles they aren't things that i sort out aggressively Mm -hmm. at all Um, always remember when i was invited onto the allen's board which is nearly nine years ago uh, by a chairman of partners based in Sydney, I was really quite, oh, my goodness, you want me to go onto our board? Um, and then getting elected by the partnership was actually, for me, a, a really high point in, sure. in my career as well.
0: And, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. What do you think was some of the attributes that you had and were showing that uh, uh, got you that recognition, that opportunity?
1: Yeah, well, it was interesting because I I wasn't aware that I had a profile that was national because you know, these are firms that we had merged with. We didn't necessarily know all of the partners. So we used to have partners retreats and I guess it's my um, natural ability. I'm quite gregarious in nature, so I can work a room quite well. So I think most people got to know me quite well but it was very telling I always recall one of the partners once I was selected by the partnership to go onto the board um, said oh oh, you know I was really shocked and he said oh no he said I I didn't really know you but I'd observed you and the way you treat people and partners with respect I knew that you were the right person that we should have on the board so I thought that was really quite Right, quite interesting. It's
0: interesting that comment about treating the partners with respect.
1: So, um, was that uh, a very conscious uh,
0: attribute that you were um, uh, you were living out in your work as compared to others? Do you think?
1: I just think it's an inherited trait. You know, if you think about my father, very much moulded. I think the person that I am, Mm -hmm. and I grew up in a family where values, respect, altruism, perseverance. Resilience, um, but it was really Dad's benevolence and respect for everybody mm-hmm. that it just would. I think sometimes those things are inherent; they are learned as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that, and I'm not saying that other people don't. Mm-hmm. But it, it had obviously been observed, mm-hmm. observed by others, and I wasn't aware that that was being observed. That's really the point I was trying sure. to make. That uh, it's interesting how people see you. Absolutely,
0: yeah. and uh, from your own perspective, when you look at it business community. Yeah. Do you think that that is a, an element that's lacking?
1: Uh, well, it is quite interesting. I think sometimes people need to take pause in relation to their relationship with others. And and if I've got a moment um, to share this one story with You've you. Got
0: plenty
1: of time, so, you um, it. so it was interesting. We had at one of our partners' retreats in the early days, It was an international consulting firm had conducted a study and one of the principals from that firm spoke to us at our national partners conference. And it was a study on what actually makes professional services firms successful and in particular, what makes individuals successful. So they did this global survey. and It was from a very highly respected consultancy firm. And they said at the end of the day, It all came down to the SWAN. Have you heard about the SWAN? So it was an acronym. Mm -hmm. So they said many people, our studies have shown us, are smart.
0: Right.
1: They work hard. Mm -hmm. They're ambitious. But the thing that actually makes someone successful and stand apart, what is all defining, is the N in the SWAN. Right. And that is nice. Wow, Okay. Oh. And it stuck with me, and I have said it to people that I mentor now. And mm. and it was interesting because I spent a lot of time thinking, what does nice mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think nice actually does mean mm-hmm. respecting everyone from the person who has the most the the lowest um, you know professional role mm-hmm. in an organisation to the most senior partner. You treat them all the same. Sure. Um, it, it It's listening to other people. It's actually actively helping them, mm-hmm. and that. That was another attribute um, that has been been pointed out to me that I had was actively helping people. If someone asks for something, I'll go out of my way, not just dismissively going, oh, yeah, maybe I might look for that later. It'll be, oh, yeah, sure, hang on a minute, and doing that. And there are all these little intangibles that actually, you know, make you nice. And um, it was interesting. I was asked to give the um, address to the graduates at the University of Queensland this year, which was very very heartwarming, actually. My nephew was graduating in the group, which was interesting. Um, But I told them to be nice Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And um, everyone said, that's really good. No one tells us these things. But I think through doing that, Mm -hmm. and I I think it probably resonated with me because it it just made me think of of how the family that I had grown up in Mm -hmm. and how Dad was always having... You know, he was um, he was benevolent. He was always supporting people who weren't doing well, or you know, having people in the home that he could help and all that sort of thing. Mm. So, um, yeah. So I think that is an interesting lesson in a professional environment.
0: Absolutely, I haven't heard that before, but uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, I often get asked uh, when I'm dealing with CEOs and chairs and some, which I do all the time. I, I generally find that most people at that level are nice. Yes, you know, it's interesting that. Uh, Uh, Early in people's careers, there is uh, this driving ambition, which can Mm. distract people from being Mm. nice. Mm -hmm. But uh, by the time somebody reaches that level, generally, um, they have an attitude of being uh, helpful and uh, and, uh, supporting and mentoring those people coming through.
1: And that's probably why they're there, because um, they have self-selected. Uh, in in that role and it's interesting even speaking to clients you know at the end of the day one of the issues professional services firms face is how do you differentiate yourself Mm -hmm. and I had a client from the US say to me look at the end of the day you know for the top five or four firms we just assume the quality is the same Mm -hmm. and so if we're working on a major transaction sometimes the test really is well who do I want to spend time with Uh, you know outside of the actual job you know because we're going to be together a lot and and that comes down to you know who do we like Mm. who's nice who's not abrasive yeah yeah, so quite basic but important it's it's so true isn't
0: it Uh, they often talk about particularly border recruitment uh, because uh, border relationship is so important that the person has to pass in the mail um, the good bloke test I'm not sure what the, uh, the Aussie sort of female equivalent of a good blood test is, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's a big part of it is that sort of cultural alignment and uh, and, uh, and just ability to enjoy working with each other. Mm-hmm. But nice is a funny word to use, particularly in the law. Yeah. You know, trusted advice or, yeah. you know, but nice is a, it's a very generic yet more than word. Yeah,
1: it is. That's why I've spent a lot of time... Look, I've defined it right. I've, in my own mind, but also right. graphically. And you know, it just encompasses all of those things, yeah. you know, the respect and treat listening, us, treating as you'd treat themselves. Yeah. Like I love chatting with the guys in the mail room. I love talking to, do you know what I mean? Like having lunch with them, having yeah. fun. And right. and I think that's all part of
0: You mentioned uh, you love to retool um, and retooling to develop your skills as you've grown in your career. What are some of the things that you've done in that regard?
1: Um, Well, interestingly, I started off working in the um, resources area here, and that's been predominantly my career at the firm. Though I during there was a period in um, the in the noughties. Uh Um, no, no, just let me think when it was. No, it was in the 90s, sorry, um, when superannuation was, you know, they were rewriting all the super rules and everyone was getting excited about it and we needed an offering here in in Queensland. So I, I retooled okay. um, for about five or six years to get onto that bandwagon. In, in and
0: been saying that you became...
1: A specialist in right. superannuation, sure. which was hard. It was complicated legislation. Right. I got one of my lawyers and we sat down in a room and sort of did like SWATVAC tutorials right. every day reading the legislation and getting up to speed. And we ended up doing some really fantastic work mm-hmm. in that space with the um, the employer-sponsored funds. And there was a whole transition mm-hmm. sort of in the sector with the CIS amendments, as they called them at the time. And um, that was really interesting because I always remember once... Um, it was a challenge, and I thought, "Oh, this is you know scary, but I just want to be get this right." And I'd worked out that, and this is from a standing start, sure. that the way you inveigle yourself into these areas is to join an industry body. So I joined an industry body, and um, everyone was sitting there. There were hardly any lawyers there. There was only one other lawyer there who had a, a, a high profile in the area. And one of the things this industry body did was um, have regular sessions on the changes because there were so many changes coming through in the law. And I remember that the draft um, provisions for the superannuation guarantee charge had just come out, and they were ugly, awful, complicated. And they said, oh, someone's going to have to give a seminar on this, and everyone was ducking for right. cover. And this power overcame me, Where I put my hand up. <laughs> I knew it was the hardest and ugliest of the topics, right. but I thought, if I can crack this, okay. that's my entry. Right. And so I put my hand up, and they went, oh. Erin, that'd be great. I remember walking back to the office feeling sick in my stomach thinking, how am I going to do it? And I did. But that was, again, you know, challenging yourself, um, taking a risk and then working out, you know, um, living up to the expectation and, and doing it. And sort of doing things that are different. Um, one of the things I'd done in the last five years was um, realised the opportunity in Mongolia and led mm. our firm to open up an office there. So that, again, was challenging sure. um, thinking well let's look at what's happening in the resources sector in Australia let's look where opportunities are we have followed our clients over there before um, we were servicing that on a fly-in fly-out basis for a number of years but more and more of us were doing it and it was like oh we need to have a presence there right. and okay. always remember ringing the powers that be here in Australia from my little hotel room in Uluru, torgo hey, I think we've got to open an office up here and um, getting that moving. And that was another really um, interesting part of my career because I had to do a presentation to our board, Mm -hmm. uh, to our leadership team first. Then it went to the board, which I am a member, so I had to step onto the other side of the table and then go to the whole partnership about opening up this office in Mongolia. And I've always enjoyed a bit of fun. So... Um, I wore national costume, uh, <laughs> Mongolian costume right. to the leadership presentation or as near as I could be, you know, Mongolian, sure shawl on. and whatever. Yeah. But long story short, um, we did open the office there and it got a lot of media attention. So I ended up getting onto the Australian Network. Okay. Um, and it was, it was great from this perspective that our media people here went, you got nine minutes of airtime. Lawyers right. don't get nine minutes. And it was all because it was sort of right time, right Sure. Place at the time, but sorry, um, I digress a little. bit. that's just an example of looking for opportunities yeah. and doing what you have to do um, to get on board. You know, with change. Yeah,
0: well, I can see uh, the uh, enthusiasm and you know uh, excitement bubbling out when you're telling that yeah, story. Yeah, it is. Uh, people love to be around. People like that don't they? Yeah, and so you joined the Queensland Rail. And yes. how long were you on, the, on the board? For?
1: I was on that board for three years, so 97 through to 99. Right. Yeah, okay. so that was interesting. And, and
0: how did you find uh, stepping onto a board uh, for the first time? What were some of the skills that you needed to develop and, and uh, some of the things that you enjoyed about that?
1: Well, I think, um, well, I enjoyed the commerciality. You know, like as a lawyer, you, you, you sit here and you respond. You know, at church, I mean, we'd like to think we do more than respond, but essentially you're not in the office, you're not in the hot seat. So um, sitting on the board, I found it really fascinating um, just the range of issues that you had to deal with. I quickly came to appreciate how important listening skills were. Yeah. And also um, the need to make balanced decisions mm-hmm. um, where it's not necessarily what you might intuitively think is right, but you, you listen to all of the inputs mm-hmm. And you make the decision based on ensuring that you've got all of the information that you feel you need to inform yourself mm-hmm. in relation to that. And I, and I remember um, there was um, another gentleman who joined the board the same time as me. He was from Macquarie. And we were sort of like the two commercial people right. on this GOC. So it was quite interesting to see sure. how a, a government-owned board operated compared to being in the cut and thrust of, of your corporate clients. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed and thoroughly enjoyed that time on the board, actually. It's really good.
0: And was there a particular mandate as to why you specifically were invited to join the
1: board? Um, look, I understood it was because I'd worked closely with the treasurer and treasury during Suncorp Metway. Um, a vacancy um, arose on the board mm-hmm. and I'd worked with them and they thought, oh, we would." We, they up. invited me. So okay. probably my legal skill set and mm-hmm. um, my work for them on that. On that matter.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you see a portfolio career as being something you'd like to step into uh, you know, later in your career? I
1: haven't I haven't given that a lot of thought like I'm currently sitting on the board of the Queensland Theatre Company which yeah. is just fun yeah. um, Oh, and sorry, I don't mean it's just fun. It's it's great. It's in a board portfolio. But I haven't actually thought a lot about that. I have an open mind in relation to it, but I'm not actively thinking, you know, that I'm seeking that, probably because I'm just enjoying what I'm doing at work with my various roles at the moment.
0: Okay. And so um, what are the sort of things uh, you're doing now in terms of keeping work fresh and exciting for you? And, you know, when you're looking at the next uh, period of your career, what are the kind of things that you're trying to further develop within
1: yourself? Yeah, well, I think um, the reason I've maintained my level of excitement Mm -hmm. is because I like doing new things. Right. And so I've been very privileged in the firm that um, I have got my role as as the Queensland Practice Director. A a lot of that is around um, trying to mentor younger partners, um, trying to mentor younger lawyers, Mm -hmm. Part of my role has been to rejuvenate the partnership. We had a lot of partners getting older, all of the lifers, um, and and to bring through a new generation. So I felt that I have been achieving that. Mm -hmm. Um, In my mining sector role, it's been really exciting because it's very Mm market-focused. So we, as um, professional services firms, having a sector focus um, has been relatively new to law firms. I think the accountants and the investment banks did that a long time ago. Um, and we've moved into that over the last four or five years and that has been incredibly exciting for me and that actually means working with my partners, not just in the mining space but across our practices Mm -hmm. and introducing that offering to our clients. Um, And, you know, I've done trips to the UK and throughout Asia um, in in, in that sort of role. But I'm hoping that my my main legacy now is actually inspiring inspiring, um, younger partners. Also making people match fit for change. I totally understand the need to be flexible, nimble and innovative. And it's something that I have incidentally done in my career. I've always looked at what's the gap, what can we fix, how can we do something differently? Mm -hmm. And so I've um, introduced a number of programs in the firm that sort of encourage a different way of thinking about things, like a program called Broadening the Base, which was... Everyone associates Allens with being top end, but actually we're not. And we, to broaden our base, we need to let clients know we can do things small scale and big scale. Okay. And the fact that we've done them big scale means we're more efficient wow. in doing them small scale. Or we, we can offer to do our services to you in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my role on the board of Allens has been um, a really uh, great role because that deals with all of the strategic issues for the firm. Um, you know, we've recently gone through a process to replace our chief executive partner. I was on the succession committee of our board for that. And I've sort of found those challenges great. So it's giving back at every level. And mm-hmm. and so having that board role is great because I think um, that helps shape behaviour top-down. Mm-hmm. Um, having my role as sector leader and as Queensland practice director, I'm looking at cultural change bottom-up. Mm-hmm. And I think then you meet. And if you want to be an agent of change... Um, and if you want to have people drive a particular culture or behave in a particular way, then you have to have it at both ends. And I think if there's a sense of urgency, which I think there is in the legal market at the moment, you can't wait for it just to trickle down. You work on it both ways and then you meet more readily in the middle okay. um, to have a new culture that's developed. Mm-hmm. Um, what
0: what do you mean by there is a sense of urgency now? in what regard?
1: I just think when you look at um, disruptors to the market, innovation, look at the, the legal market, there are more competitors here, we've got international players, we have people who offshore, um, some of the basic um, services that we would provide, um, and it's a way of, well, what do we have to do differently? Mm-hmm. And the reality is now you can't just do it the same as Whoa. you always have. So so that's what I really mean. It is a rapid change in the market. Um, um rapid changes in service delivery models, changes in the way people, uh, what the clients expect of you, changes in what they think you're going to be delivering and how you're going to be delivering, changes in the way you package up um, your costings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and see, I get excited by that. I don't get frightened by that. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, this is great. Well, how can we do that? If they're doing that, we have to get on board. Similar to, you know, everyone talks about Uber and taxis, but in the legal market, you've got... Um, you know, technology changes that can mean that a lot of the, the work that you do in even analysing documents can be done mm-hmm. um, electronically. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, that's right. Well, what do we? where's our value add? How do we do that? How do we get on board with that process? How can we deliver those services? We all understand that clients are looking to drive efficiency. So are we. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we found um, is having our back office people directly in touch with the back office procurement equivalents in our clients mm-hmm. is actually a very powerful sure. powerful thing. And that, that wasn't something traditional law firms would do.
0: Mm. I watched a uh, short 15 minute video yesterday called Humans Need Not Apply, which oh, is right. amazing. I'll send you a link to it. It's talking about artificial intelligence and the yeah. massive effect it's going to have on a lot of professions. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, the disruption that's going to happen because a lot of these tasks, which traditionally needed a lot of man hours uh, and a lot of professional specialization to handle, can be done so much more efficiently and uh, accurately by computers now. So, yeah. and they talked a lot about the law um, mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. That's mm-hmm. interesting. And I think that um, I'm also interested in uh, how the firm is having to adapt in order to remain perceived as an employer of choice. Um, What are some of the initiatives that you're doing in order to encourage uh, younger people to remain interested in the war and also uh, regard your firm as um, the place that they want to work?
1: Um, Well, it's interesting. A lot of the um, internal surveys that we conducted indicated that um, our current generation of employees are are looking to ensure that they have mil- more milestones that okay. they can reach. So we've, we've changed our career deal or our career model in the last couple of years, which goes away from any co- a seniority concept of promotion to merit. Mm-hmm. So you can f- frog leap mm-hmm. over from one category. So the, it used to be, um, you know, before the GFC and everything, that I think the, the age at which you became a partner was younger. Now it's a longer path to partnership, and I think Mm -hmm. that's common across... Or, or sorry, erstwhile it was a longer path to partnership, but what what we're trialling now is that you can get there earlier if you're good and if you've got it, you don't have to wait, you know, eight years plus or whatever the magic number is at any particular point in time. And we've also, instead of just going from lawyer effectively to associate to partner, Mm -hmm. we now have... um, your lawyer then you can become an associate then a senior associate a managing associate mm-hmm. and then a partner so you have all of these milestones and if you make managing associate that's like you are sort of like a partner elect right. so to speak and yeah. we've been really in the last year in Brisbane two of our managing associates went up to partner within 12 months so right. that was in response to um us ensuring that we're listening to our staff in terms of what they want for career measurement and and goalposts. Flexibility is the other issue that is incredibly important. I don't think we're perfect in relation to that, but we're working really hard. Um, and I think that's part of the challenge about the changes in the market. You know, we're seeing now with a lot of disruptors. Um, you know, they will have women or men who are on part time work, sitting in the United States in the Midwest at home doing legal documents on a low-cost base. Mm -hmm. And so that's flexibility in terms of working. So I think we need to understand more and more and work towards greater flexibility, not just, yeah, you can come in two days a week or three days a week, but, yes, you can work at home. You don't have to have a a Mm -hmm. presence at the moment. We actually had one lawyer at the moment who, for personal reasons, had to go back to Tasmania, but we've kept her on um, doing all of the work. Um, and, you know, she just telephones so in we've got her phone diverted down to her number down there. Right. She, you know, had to look after some family issues um, and is still working, you know, fantastically. Right. Um, and with IT now, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Years ago, you wouldn't have been able to. Oh, absolutely.
0: And so you've talked a lot about the things that you really enjoy in terms of your role. What are some of the things that you don't enjoy so much? Um, uh,
1: I, I think... You know, people's disappointments sometimes, um, managing um, managing that. Um, also, you know, it's also hard when you lose a tender or something. Right, That's always sure. um, disappointing and hard. But I think probably one of the hardest or, or disappointing things is when um, people sometimes don't live up to the expectations that right. you had of them in, in a sense. Um one of the personal disappointments that I found was that I didn't ever go and work overseas for a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. So I was on this great career trajectory, but most of my friends from university spent a couple of years in either the UK or the US yep. or Asia working. Yep. I did an American and international law course for a couple of months in the US, but but that was it. So, mm-hmm. that, so that, that was disappointing mm-hmm. for me.
0: That's interesting because uh, that is one of my... Uh, Disappointments too. Uh,
1: is it? I yeah. travelled
0: a lot uh, when I was young with my family uh, uh, and I never chose to do that uh, one or two years overseas and I really regret it now. Yeah. And so what I'm um, keen to talk about now is uh, Chief Executive Women. Yes. Um, uh, I don't have a lot of visibility of... Uh, uh, what that's all about, but it certainly is a very highly regarded in the market and a great initiative. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yes, certainly. So, um, you would have seen in the Australian there was the um, supplement this week all about um, Chief Executive Women and mm-hmm. our 30-year anniversary. Yes. So, um, I'm a relatively newcomer, a relative newcomer to Chief Executive Women. I've been a member for about three years and um, it's a wonderful group of women. There are some 370 members, so it's an invitation only membership. Mm -hmm. Um, Our president is Diane Smith-Gander and um, she has had a wonderful impact on um, driving through the initiatives of Chief Executive Women. We're actually there um, to help Mm -hmm. women and um, to have the power of women of equal skill and mindset together, influencing others is great. And it's been one of the most enjoyable interactions I've had. So I'm on the National Council of Chief Executive Women and the um, State Chapter Chair. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I have found um, the best about Chief Executive Women, is it, it is really aimed at supporting other women, younger women, finding opportunities for them, having our scholarship program, having our leadership program, um, we're now extending that into Singapore and I'm going up to speak at that in January. And, and I think we've worked out that um, a number of, no matter what you do theoretically to encourage women, it's actually hearing other people's stories mm. and other women's stories, similar to what you're Absolutely. doing right now, mm. um, which is an important um, part of um, mm. the, the chief executive women mantra. So it's more about um, getting a voice, getting a profile, Um, supporting each other but sort of making real changes as opposed to um, you know talking about talking about change and and values are an incredibly important part of that we were talking about NICE earlier Mm -hmm. but it was interesting in the um, looking I was sitting on the council looking at the new membership applications for this year very much as a criteria about the values of the applicants and um, Ensuring that altruism is one of the values of the organisation—you don't often see altruism sure. as a value—but um, yeah, so it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful network.
0: Great. And so, what are some of the conditions for being invited to join?
1: Um, we have some cri- uh, criteria which are available but essentially it's women who are either at chief, chief executive level or who report to a chief executive who have a national role it goes across professional services it goes into executive roles it also covers non-executive um, role non-executive director roles but you need to be there's a whole there's a, a lot of criteria but it's essentially indicating that you are a leader um, that you have a national role and um, that you um, have a lot of responsibilities that that sort of come with that.
0: Sure. Erin, you mentioned one of the things that you really enjoy is being on the board of the Queensland Theatre Company. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think are some of the uh, attributes that are important to being on a not-for-profit board as compared to a commercial board?
1: Uh, Well, I think it it, requires you to have a much um, broader perspective Mm -hmm. about what you can and what you cannot do and and how you are going to be able to achieve it and um, how you are going to raise your funds, um, how you are going to keep your, um, in the theatre space, audiences engaged in what you're doing Mm -hmm. um, and and understanding the creative um, side of things as opposed to the pure. So it's applying a business discipline Mm -hmm. to what is otherwise... um, a wonderful, you know, giving back to the community sure. type of scenario. And, and one of the things I was really proud about um, being on the Queensland Theatre Company of late is um, our, our decision to really back regional Queensland and to tour our shows around. Okay. And, you know, that, that costs money, but at the end of the day, you are trying to do something that will be for the enjoyment of everyone in the state mm-hmm. um, and not just, you know, in South East Queensland. Sure. Um, And I found it interesting when I was invited to join the board of the Queensland Theatre Company, um, I got a visit from somebody and I thought, oh, this is interesting. I thought, oh, they must think I'm creative. They must have known I did speech and drama in Kingaroy. But it had nothing to do with that. As soon as I joined as the lawyer, I was asked to um, chair the audit committee. Right. Um, But it's really interesting working with Mm. the artistic directors and seeing things develop and and similar to what we've been talking about with disruption, Mm. you know, with the theatre there are so many different mediums now for people to be entertained Mm. Um, and looking at how you can keep theatre relevant to the younger generations is a real challenge. Um, And, you know, mixing it up and having different shows. Mm -hmm. We've just had a fantastic production of Ladies in Black Okay, um, which is a musical. Tim Finn um, oh, yes. wrote the music right. and um, it was just a wonderful way to end the year. Oh, fantastic.
0: Mm. And so uh, for the uh, audience of... Uh men and women who are looking to develop their careers to their full potential, whether that be into a CEO role or a board role or um, uh, irrespective of industry, what would you say are some of the key lessons or or key pieces of advice, other than be nice, uh, that uh, you would suggest are important for them to keep in mind and focus on?
1: Um, Look, I I think be yourself Mm -hmm. is critically important Authenticity. Don't let um, ambition overshadow who you are, or mm-hmm. think you need to behave in a particular way in mm-hmm. order to achieve something, or push yourself I- in a way that makes you not who you you really are. I know that that might sound a little bit um, soft, but it it's actually very important. I've noticed the people who who really get ahead, let things fall into place in their natural order, mm-hmm. um, there are decisions that you have to make. Like I said, one of the decisions was, yes, I did write into Faith's Ruthening to get work sure. experience, and then that led to this yeah. whole career. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to to back yourself, be yourself, and, and, and don't be discouraged if you get knocked down a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been times when, you know, I've wanted something to happen and it hasn't and I've felt a little bit, oh, you know, why didn't that happen or, you know, whatever. And it, you pick yourself up. Mm-hmm. And and I've noticed your observation now. People who haven't got that resilience, so you have to be resilient. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that there will be the ups and downs in your career journey and also remembering that it is a longer-term game. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes you're overly ambitious to achieve something in a short period of time you need to take pause mm-hmm. so I think being being authentic mm-hmm. um, backing yourself and taking some pause in relation to where you're going in your career and also not fretting about the bad stuff and not not sweating on it um, and being able to move on mm-hmm. and and change what you're doing and having having the um, self-perception to go you know what maybe I didn't do that the way I should have done it. Mm. Maybe I need to change my approach here. So being self-critical but at the same time backing yourself Mm. is important. Does that answer? I think so. Um,
0: uh, Maggie Hasseltine uh, has been on the podcast. She's a very uh, involved member of uh, Chief Executive Women as well. And one of her big things was coming to a realisation within herself to be far more authentic Um, Mm -hmm. and it was quite a pivotal uh, uh, moment in her career. So uh, you know you uh, echo that Mm -hmm. and uh, I think you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right, Uh, people they get in this trajectory now and they want to win and achieve and expect that everything's going to go perfectly well but there's always speed bumps along the way isn't it? And often it's how you deal with that that really shows your character rather than just doing things well and, and being applauded
1: for it. I think so. And there's a certain impatience that I've noticed. And I think in, in younger um, people, and that sounds like I'm, I am getting old, <laughs> but um, there is an impatience. And I, I think patience is so important mm. in any kind of leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the listening skills. It's the, yeah, I think patience and, and understanding. And, and that's the one good thing I've worked out about getting older you do gain some wisdom and you have had the experience and you do know and I now find myself saying to my staff what my mentor used to say to me it'll all work out in the end don't worry it's just a blip on the radar and people will forget about it and you'll work your way through it right and I'm saying that now and I can see it when people are in a lather about oh I thought this would happen and it didn't and you go don't worry it's okay don't sweat it um, and I think that's that's important.
0: That's a particular saying from the theatre industry as well, isn't it? Uh, it'll yeah. be all right on the night. It will be all right on the night, yeah. that's right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so uh, looking into 2016, what, what's uh, the thing you're most excited about uh, for the next year in terms of your own uh, career or work, etc.? cetera? Um,
1: that's interesting. There are some some key client mandates that I, um, I won't... Disclose the names sure. to you that I've uh, managed to to win, okay. um, um, right. just in in recent months, and it's been a real sense of personal achievement mm-hmm. um, in relation to those pursuits. And I'm really looking forward to um, developing those. Those relationships, so that that's important. Okay. Um, the other thing, I guess, is that we're going to be moving premises um, next year after 30 years in the same building. Wow! So I've got a real sense of excitement about that for the firm and the office and rejuvenation mm-hmm. and on a whole number of levels. Right. It's great for younger people to see that we do change. Sure. We're not the sort of people who stay in the same office and. I've heard in our 170-year history, you've never stayed in the same place for 30 years. Right. So, um, time to move on. Um, so, I find that exciting.
0: And in terms of uh, the uh, the move, what's the one little tweak you've done to the fit out to show your personality?
1: Um, well, we are going into a hybrid model. Okay. Um, my personality is the selection of the colour scheme. Right where it's based on um, the, a restaurant in Paris okay. that um, was shown to us by the architects. Right. But But, um, in fact, what we're, we're going into this um, building, 480 Queen Street. Right. Um, but we're, we're going with a reduced floor plate. Okay. So, you know, we're conscious of efficiencies mm-hmm. and whatever, and we're going to move into a hybrid model, which incorporates some offices and some open plan. Oh, okay. So right. this is us getting right. with the program uh-huh. and being innovative. Yes, and um and whatever but i guess one of my other legacies my personality on that was just integrating the idea of library and bookshelves into the cafe area All you know right. that whole okay instead of having your separate libraries you sure. sort of integrated into um a lovely working space great um, and when start. does that
0: move happen um
1: probably around may next year right be, yeah very very exciting so exciting and to uh,
0: it's daunting too isn't it I mean, it is
1: yeah there is a, a sense of uh, trepidation but it's led us to um start our cleanup mm-hmm. of the office here so okay. that we get ourselves match fit to be into um the new building oh next very year. good
0: well look i appreciate that you're a busy lady and you've got a lot to do so uh, before we wind up any final comments or anything you'd like to leave the listeners with before we uh, uh end the conversation
1: Um, No, I've I've enjoyed talking about um, myself (laughs) (laughs) today. It's always cathartic um, to be prompted to talk about um, stories. And um, I don't know, just to say to everyone, just really back back yourselves. Um, My career has been a joy. Um, I felt very appreciative of the opportunities that have come my way. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't aggressively seek any of them out and... It's always um, it's very sweet to be to be recognised for being yourself and learning that it's okay not to have come from the traditional profile of person sure. you thought might be needed for a role, mm-hmm. and um, not changing who I am. Like I'm, you know, quite light-hearted mm-hmm. and and whatever, and I've retained my femininity. I haven't felt that I've had to change mm-hmm. in order to achieve what I've achieved at the firm. So anyone who's there feeling insecure about what's out there for you really be yourself and back yourself and the world seriously is your oyster
0: oh that's excellent well thanks very much and have a wonderful afternoon
1: thank you very much
0: well I trust you enjoyed that conversation with Erin I certainly found her enthusiasm and energy extremely engaging And I'm sure that the younger members of Alan's would find her a tremendous mentor and a leader that they would aspire to working and performing under. I look forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic day.